This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Nearly all of us know a few Bible passages simply by the reference. Even people who are not so familiar with Holy Scripture very likely have seen JN 3 colon 16 on the football player's eye black. Or for those in the over 50 crowd, you may recall the goofy guy with the multicolored wig holding his John 3.16 sign behind the goalposts at NFL football games. The chapter, book, chapter, and verse of God so loved the world he gave his one and only son. There's other Bible references and you know what they're about. Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Genesis 1, the creation account. You may not be able to recite every single word of those scripture portions or passages from memory, but you know the references. All the passages of scripture are important because all of them are the true words of God himself. But some passages leap up the list of importance because they capture the core of what God says about himself and what he wants for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 3, verses 23 and 24. We are now in the epiphany season of the church here, and epiphany messages ring out, starting with Jesus, light of love, shining not only into the hearts of one nation, the Israelites, people like Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, but to all nations and all people like the Magi. And following after that grand epiphany festival message come the Sundays of epiphany in logical order. The forgiving love of Jesus miraculously merged with water in his gift of baptism. And then the next week in the Epiphany season, Jesus calls followers. And this week in this Epiphany season, it logically follows. Jesus calls followers, and now what do followers say? What passages proclaim who Jesus is? what he did, why he came. John 3, 16, love it. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, love it. Romans 6, verse 23, love it. Romans 3, 23 and 24, love it. There's a seminary professor at our seminary in Mequon who received his call to serve there after my day, but he even served as the president there, and he was known, especially in being able to train future pastors in their multitask and multi-role in a special area of being an evangelist, a witness for Christ. And he liked to use a portion of Scripture that would communicate convey, explain, highlight, underscore all of what God has done. And what is it? Here it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Printed in your service folder, the bottom of page 7. It's in your Bible. We heard it read earlier. Wow. Have I given the impression over the years, some people have known me for a long time, that witnessing is the most important part of Christianity? If so, let me set the record straight. No matter what role God has given you in life, daughter, son, mother, father, student, teacher, office worker, skilled worker in one of the trades, engineer, IT guru, computer programmer, marketing, graphic design, salesperson, CEO, retiree, no matter what role he has given you, you are connected to God through Jesus Christ and out of gratitude. You do what? You care and love and give and serve and pray and worship and witness. All of those, care and love and serve and give and worship and pray and witness, all of those are equally important. But there's a lot hinged on this witnessing business. As the Apostle Paul would say, how can they call in the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in one they haven't heard about? How can they hear about someone unless someone is speaking to them? And now we're into what do Christians say? And do you sense it? Do you feel the burden and the barriers, the hang-ups and the hurdles, the fears? 
and the, well, tried that, didn't work out so well, failures that we've all had in witnessing for Christ. To say nothing of one of the big fears we have, what if people reject me? Let me weigh in on that one just a little bit. If people don't want to listen to what you have to say about the Lord Jesus or Holy Scripture, well, at least they heard the truth. God is not calling on you to twist arms or argue or convert anyone. He simply wants you to testify to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, which raises up another objection or fear that we might have. I'm not sure what to say. Aha! Now we have come to what God wants for you and for me today. What he wants you to say. And this is not some little Bible factoid or tidbit like how many inches are in a cubit or how big did the baby dinosaurs get in the 375 days they spent with Noah in the ark. No, this is the difference between heaven and hell. This is the difference between, between being cared for by God for time and all eternity or being abandoned by God in unspeakable horror for time without end. What to say? What to say as a witness for Jesus Christ? Say this. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 21. Say this. God was reconciled to the world in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God. Say this. No matter... No matter what status you have in society, whether leader or laborer, president or pauper, without a savior, you and I would have no status with God. Why? Well, you know why. Because we entered this world as spiritual criminals. And we racked up a rap sheet that could circle the globe. The fact is that our corruption and our crookedness make God angry. And that's nothing to fool around with. He cursed a killer named Cain. He scorched the sinners of Sodom and Gomorrah. He ripped open the earth and swallowed up the rebels of Israel on the trip from Sinai to Canaan. If we want to get stuck in our old status, and if we do, of separation from God and sinfulness, if we get stuck there, we'd be in a heap of trouble. And that is the understatement of this new year, 2024. But the apostle announces, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be reckoned as a sinner in our place, so that in him, connected to him, we might be considered as having the status of being pure and right before God. Jesus got our sin and bad status. We get his holiness and pure status before God. God announces to the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor, I'm no longer looking at you as a persecutor anymore. You are my dear child. And through the Apostle, he announced to the Corinthians, who had been bothered by all kinds of corruption and cliques within their own congregation, 
I'm not looking at you as sinners anymore. I will be your God, and you will be my people. So I'm going to use a big word. Kids who are here, get ready. Here it comes. This is what the apostle says. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. He reconciled us. This is not Bible theory or theological gobbledygook. He reconciled us is a big word, means God has made us his friends by aiming away from us the anger that should come toward us, aiming that toward our substitute, Jesus. And here's where we get confidence. This new status he gives us, thanks to Jesus, as being his dearly loved children, this new status is intended for all. That's how we know for sure that we're in. It's for you and it's for me. If it's for everybody, it must be for me and for you. And then it moves from personal to others, from out, from in to out. This new status announced to the world because of what Jesus did, being connected to God, is what applies to everyone, no matter with whom we are speaking. What are we supposed to say? Say this. To have status with God, to get in with God, to have God on your side, to live in the lap of God's love for time without end. Jesus did it all, he did it alone, and he did it for you. Sadly, there are some people who hear this announcement of a new status, and they brush it off, they don't consider it that big a deal, and they slide back into their old sinful pattern of life. It's bad enough when a reformed cannabis or cocaine addict or a recovering alcoholic falls back into their addiction. But when you think about it, we are all addicted to sin. And if we slide back into sinful patterns and behaviors and consider the new status God has given us in Christ to be, well, not that big a deal, well, we'll be in danger of hellfire. The Corinthian Christians were heading the wrong way on the one-way street of service to God. Factions within the congregation threatened to break it up. Unnecessary lawsuits stirred up feelings of hurt and even hate and disregard for God's worship order and for God's design for marriage caused chaos and confusion. What's going to happen to them? Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them and followed it up with this second letter, and it had an impact because their life had now changed. Here's what the Apostle said to them. Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again clinging to and grateful for this new status, they now had new life, pursuing God's path, putting aside the sinful disputes and disorder in their congregation and walking God's one-way path to sincere worship and willing service. You and I have this new status with God, given to us by Jesus. But don't you know, and I'm afraid you do, we all know and have to admit that our old sinful way of life keeps fighting for a comeback, pulling us into the buckthorn of wrongdoing or to the quicksand of do-nothingness. Has it ever happened in your life that you realized you're in a situation and stopped and either thought to yourself or said to someone, someday 
We're going to look back on this, laugh nervously, and change the subject. Has it ever happened that you take a look around and realize, hey, the church work is getting done, but I have not been involved, and it's not because I've been so stinking busy with my busy schedule, but no, it's because I'm lazy and haven't been giving and serving and loving as God would want. Wouldn't you like to change that? Wouldn't you like to be more consistent in your loving and serving and giving and caring? Read 2 Corinthians 5 again. Drink in the marvel of the new status that we have with God thanks to Jesus. And what's going to happen? <laughs> You're going to have a changed life because this new status energizes our life. And this is not some kind of Bible theory or theological gobbledygook. If someone asks, well, okay, I hear your statement about having right status with God, but how do I stay on the balanced beam of life and not fall into do-nothingness or into wrongdoing? How do I stay on that balanced beam? Say this, Christ's love compels us. Do you like your job? Many do. Some don't. How would you like to have a job that has an eternal impact? Listen to this. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. He says, you Corinthians are now you. You are Christ's ambassadors. They didn't quit their jobs. They didn't stop going to work. They simply added to their earthly tasks the joyful work of sharing Jesus' love with other people. The joyful privilege of supporting those who go in their name and giving for those who are in need. To pray for Paul and other missionaries. To consistently not only worship, but to witness to their friends and neighbors. The Lord God isn't demanding that you and I give up our careers or our savings. He simply wants us to know that about this joyful privilege of sharing Jesus with others. And this is not Bible theory or theological gobbledygook. We look at people differently now. The apostle says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Everyone we meet is a candidate for God's mercy. What to say? If someone says, okay, I get it. You tell me about the new status I have with Christ Jesus because of Jesus with God and, and I have this new life, but what difference can I make in the world? What difference can I make in people's lives? Say this. We are Christ's ambassadors and so are you. You make the biggest difference when you tell people about Jesus. Say this is the theme of my sermon today, and that theme is printed in the service folder. Maybe a few of you caught it there. It's printed out. What tone did you expect that to have when you saw those words, say this? Say this! Kind of pressuring you, pushing you in the back? <laughs> no. How about a joyful announcement? A rosy appeal? A happy answer to the question, what are we supposed to say? Because say this carries with it. Who would have guessed that God would use us to share his love with other people? Can you hear the tone 
of startled wonder and excitement and joy in the Apostle Paul. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Well, how about that? To young and old, to rich and poor, to tall or short, to whomever and wherever, say 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 21. Say this, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Say that. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.